welcome back to my scientific notebook. I'm going to start off this episode with a couple of updates. I am going to upload a comprehensive guide for all of my episodes so now you can follow along with what I'm saying. I figured it would be a little easier to follow along with what I'm saying. With that being said, let's get into today's topic which is chemical equilibrium. Alright, so when you have a reaction, let's take the most simplest reaction that we know um, and have probably done before, which is dissolving salt in water. Basically, you're dissolving NaCl, which is a solid, in an aqueous solution. We learned that in a previous Gen Chem episode. So, what happens when you dissolve salt in water? Macroscopically, you're just looking at it and, oh, you just have salt water. But microscopically, you have what is known as disassociation of the molecules, um, of course, and you have what's known as an oscillating reaction. So oscillating reactions happens in any reaction. It co- it's when reactants can go from being products to reactants, from products to reactants, and you get something called a forward to backward reaction. Sometimes you can put so much salt that the salt won't dissolve and it will just sit at the bottom of the tank. And whatever water is left over is said to be saturated with NAC molecules. This just means that you have a concentrated salt water solution. So when you put so much reactant that not all of it dissolves within your solution, This means that the reaction has reached equilibrium. So that means that the number of moles that can take in salt has been reached. This is called equilibrium. And at equilibrium, every reaction is happening in the forward and backward direction. The rule of thumb definition that you must know is equilibrium means that the rate of the forward reaction equals the rate of the backward reaction. And this is symbolized as a double arrow. It almost looks like an equal sign. I know before in Gen Chem 1, we only learned that reactions go and produce products. But here, products are turning into reactants, reactants are turning into products. Everything is happening in like one big sphere. And if you think about it, like just in layman's terms, if you have a group of 25 people in a room, and one person keeps going out but another person keeps going in you have this constant motion but you're you always have 25 people in the room that's basically what's going on at equilibrium again let me reiterate that the important information that you're supposed to know is that equilibrium is the rate of the forward reaction equal to the rate of the backward reaction symbolized by a double arrow Now you can have what's known as equilibrium plots, which basically plot the equilibrium process. So you will have reactants that decrease in number, um, products that increase in number, but the concentration of them always stays the same. And then when you have that flat line going on, that means that the system has reached equilibrium. Oftentimes you'll be given a plot and then asked to find the conditions of the plot. What you have to know is that if you're given a balanced reaction and you're given a star molarity and then an X, you're either supposed to subtract or add the 
stoichiometrical amount from the given amount. So here we're given that we have a 4 molar start and we're going to subtract 2 molar because that's what is used. Subtraction always goes in the right direction and addition always goes in the left direction. In other words, subtraction will represent reactants and addition will represent products. Now, we know that equilibrium, during equilibrium, you have 25 people, one person goes out, another person goes in, and you keep having 25 people with that constant motion of in and out, but what stays constant, the 24 people, and how do we measure that? Well, there's something called the law of mass action, and basically, activity is how active a species is after they've reached equilibrium. So, how fast is that one person going out and in, out and in, out and in? And every and this activity can be represented by a k constant. Every reaction is going to have a different k constant, which basically just k is what measures the 24 people that are standing in that room. K can always be found by doing products divided by reactants and the stoichiometrical coefficient that goes in front of an element is going to be the power to which that element or K value is raised. So for reaction XA plus YB equals ZC plus WD, you're going to have K is equal to the products, which is D and C, C raised to the second c raised to the z and d raised to the w over a raised to the x and b raised to the y but different states can actually have different measure of activity so you're not supposed to include every single state in your k equation so aqueous solutions will have a given molarity you're always going to include aqueous solutions gases will have a given atm pressure you're always going to include gases but solids will actually have a density and that density is going to be represented by one so our liquids liquids are also represented by density and that density is always going to be one um, remember one if you multiply by one you still get the same thing if you divide by one you get the same value so you're not necessarily going to include solids and liquids in your k equation so if you have a reaction that starts with the reactants it will proceed in the forward direction until equilibrium if you have a reaction that starts with the products, it will proceed in the backwards direction. That's super easy to remember. If you start with the reactants, you go forward to make the products. And if you start with the products, you go backwards. You retrace your steps to make the reactants. Then I include some examples. So let's go over those examples. If you have 2H aqueous plus 2Na solid is equal to 2Na aqueous plus H2 gas. And you're given that you have 4 molarity of the 2H aqueous, 3 molarity of the 2Na aqueous, and 2 ATM of the H2 gas. How do you find the K equation? Super simple. First, we know that K is the products over the reactants. So we will include Na to the squared times H2 over H plus to the squared. Note how we're not including the solid because solid is denoted by 1 and 1 does not change the value of the equation. Then we plug in the given values for the NaH and H uh, on the bottom and that is 3 squared plus 
2 times 2 because there are h2. And we are given that the atm is just of h, right? And then we have on the bottom 4 squared, and we are given that the answer is 2.25. I have a couple of more examples, so try to go over them by yourself. It, again, this concept is super easy, so just take it slow, write everything out, and you'll be fine. But now let's talk a little more about the equilibrium constant k. Equilibrium, as we know, is the rate of the forward reaction equal to the rate of the backward reaction. And I will say this so many times because it is so important to know. In equilibrium, k can only remain constant if temperature remains constant. Therefore, k is only ever positive. You will not have a negative k. But k can vary in a range of values. So k can be very, very large and k can be very, very small. I'm talking down to the decimal. And when k exceeds 1, the reaction will go far forward to produce lots of product. But when k is very, very small, the reaction will go far backwards to produce a lot of reactants. And all of this is occurring at equilibrium. So in these cases, K becomes the measure of how far the reaction will go. Again, very, very large K values indicate almost complete completion with lots of products. In every single reaction there will, that has a large K, there will be more products than reactants, but there still will be some reactants. Again, it goes to almost completion, not complete completion. Very, very small K values indicate that not much completion is going on and there will be lots of reactants and very, very little products. So I give an example. When you have a large K value for the power of 18 at equilibrium, the concentration of products is greater than the concentration of reactants. But when the K value is very, very small, for example, a value to the negative 18 at equilibrium. This means that you'll have more reactants and then products. So then again, large K means that products exceed reactants, but small K means that reactants will exceed products. Now I'm going to introduce a bit of a complicated concept because it's hard to solve these type of problems. The concept itself is not hard to grasp. It's just hard to solve some of these problems. There are three rules that exist for the K constant. One, it's that the backward reaction is the inverse of the forward reaction. So for example, if you're given a reaction with constant two, um, that is the forward, and they ask you to find the backward reaction, all you have to do is put two under one. So one divided by two, that will be the rate of the um, backward reaction. So we can generalize this by saying that k backwards is equal to 1 over k forward. The second rule is that some reactions will actually have an, a separate set of stoichiometric coefficients that are achieved by either reduction or multiplication. So for example, if I have I2 plus H2 equals 2HI, I can either have 0.5 I2 plus 0.5 H2 equals to HI, or I can have 2 uh, I2 plus 2 H2 is equal to 4 H2. In this case, it is all a balanced reaction, but with different 
stoichiometric coefficients. So the second rule states that whatever number or factor that you are multiplying or reducing a stoichiometric balanced equation by is the same factor that you're going to raise the initial k to. So for example, the power of n equals k nu to the k, k nu is equal to k to the nth power. For example, in my given uh, example, I am reducing the reaction by a factor of 2, aka multiplying it by 1 half. So that means that k nu is going to be the initial k to the 1 half power. Now there's also a third rule that means when you're adding two reactions together, the result of the, k nu of the new k will be the product of k1 and k2. This is a lot of information, so if you follow along, it's going to be a lot easier to understand what I'm talking about. Basically, if you're adding two reactions, you're basically, what in theory you're doing is k1 plus k2. So that means that k nu is actually going to be k1 times k2. It's a bit complicated, but all you're supposed to know is that when they're asking you to add or to find the new k constant of two equations, you're supposed to multiply those two um, constants together. Now, this is really hard to understand without an example. So I am going to include two examples in my guide so that you can follow along. All the work is done and everything is explained. So now let's go over the three rules of thumb in layman's terms. Number one is that k nu is equal to 1 over k1. Two is that k nu can equal to k to the factor of n of the stoichiometric equation. And three is that k nu is equal to k1 times k2. Now, it's you have to know how to recognize which rule is being employed and then apply that rule. And it's also very hard to, with rule number three, you can have both of the two rules. So rule number one and rule number two can actually go into rule number three. Again, the last page of my guide for this topic includes a lot of different examples and everything is, is, is explained, all the steps, so please go over that. I will also be including a worksheet that I used for this topic, so if you want to go ahead and follow along, the worksheet also includes the answers. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this topic. It's a bit hard to explain without following the comprehensive guide, so I really suggest you open it up and listen to this episode with the comprehensive guide in hand. With that being said, I'll leave you guys to study. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you in the next episode.